Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Father, thank you for the privilege of studying the word sent from heaven to direct our hearts, a revelation of your heart to man's heart. Thank you that the themes of the Bible, judgment is coming, but there is a salvation in Christ. And I thank you that you have reached us in time, our ears. And I pray that we would be faithful to share that with others. Give us, I pray, a heart of compassion. Thank you for the life of Moses this morning as we study his life. And how he responded to disappointment. Lord, I do pray that you would give us a similar attitude in the valleys of our life. We pray this in your gracious name. Amen. Numbers chapter 13, and we'll begin reading at verse 17. And let's read through verse 20. Context I'll share with you in just a moment. Moses sent the spies out. You remember, 12 spies were sent to spy on Canaan. The song says, 10 were bad and 2 were good. He sent them into the land of Canaan as God had prescribed earlier in the chapter and said unto them, get you up this way southward. This, of course, is the southern threshold of the land of Canaan. Get you up this way southward and go into the mountains and see the land and what it is, the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. They did not know this was kind of an espionage uh, mission to see, to spy out, to survey the land. What the land is, and they that dwell in, whether it be good land or bad, or what cities be they that dwell in, and whether they dwell in tents or in strongholds, what the land is, and whether it be fat or lean, whether there be woods therein or not, and and be of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of first ripe grapes. I'm going to just share with you where we've been so far in our series, just by way of uh, a little bit of a review here. They have already, um, we already talked about the key to compassion. It is not necessarily just a feeling, but it is stooping down low to raise up. And that's really the idea of looking forward to the time when we shall enjoy life together in heaven. And that takes a spirit, doesn't it, of a compassion, a heart that's willing to bend as Christ did in Philippians 2. Make himself of no reputation in order that one day we might be exalted in glory with him. The end of biblical compassion is what? To reconcile all things to him in Christ. And so that's kind of been the theme ongoing as we've studied. Compassion, we will find out in the text today, overcomes disappointments. It knows that the reputation of God is more important important than personal achievement. Sometimes we get our hearts, don't we, wrapped around something so tightly that we believe that uh, our goal and our plan is even more important. Our reputation is even more important than God's. Oh, how he wants to be glorified even in our difficulties. Well, in this text before us, in just a few minutes, we're going to uncover a prayer that Moses prays in the face of one of his greatest disappointments in life. I was so encouraged by this that I thought I've got to share this with our church family. He prays a prayer that's really amazing. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. Two weeks ago, we noted Samuel's compassion in the face of great rejection. Remember that story? Give us a king to rule over us. Samuel 
went to the Lord, said, this isn't the way it should be. And the Lord reminded Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Remember that Bible lesson? And so what does Samuel do? Just by way of review, Samuel uh, shakes the dust off his feet, right? His clothes, and he, uh, <laughs> he says, well, if that's the way they're going to be, I'm done. I'm quitting. No, he doesn't do that. Remember what he does? He says, I don't want to sin against you in stopping to pray for you. I'm not going to stop praying for you. And so we see that that great attitude in the face of rejection. I hope you're having great compassion for others in the face of rejection. And here today, the text is about how to have great compassion for others in the face of huge disappointment. In our first church, we had a man by the name of Royal Power. Royal was about at retirement age when I first took my first internship at a church there in Wichita, Kansas. And uh, I I was just learning the ropes of ministry. My dad was the pastor there. He gave me opportunity to preach. But Royal and I developed a friendship. Royal was an engineer at Boeing, uh, Air, military division of Boeing Aircraft. And, and I often asked him, Royal, what, what is it that you do? He says, it's top secret. I can't tell you, young man. He said, well, it's just a military thing. It's a high, it's a high security project. And I'm not going to tell you. You can't. You can't weasel it out of me. Well, we spent a lot, of, and every time I say, now, what are you working on? He said, I can't tell you. Did you know he worked on that project for 20 years, and finally he retired, and we were out playing golf together. I said, you're retired. It's okay. I think we can talk about it. And he looked at me, he said, yes, we can. He said, I've worked on a military project for 20 years, and just a couple weeks ago, the, the military decided they're scrapping the whole thing. Imagine spending your life, 20 years of it at least, majoring on a, what a disappointment it might be. And some of you maybe today are going through a tremendous disappointment. Moses, to me, is one of the greatest examples of encouragement, I think, in all the Bible. The Bible speaks of him as the meekest man. What, what, what do we do when, when compassion meets disappointment? I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands if lately... You've been through a disappointment in life. I know all of us struggle with this. Uh, I remember coming home from college. Uh, I just graduated, just taking up kind of uh, the, the first few weeks of ministry. And I had about five or six notebooks from College Chapel where I went to school at Pensacola. And I was looking for some fuel for messages, and I was looking through outlines of all these quote-unquote famous preachers that had come to College Chapel, and I was looking for one message out of all those messages on encouragement. Did you know out of 300-plus chapel messages that I took outlines on, guess how many messages on encouragement I found? Just one. Now, we're going to discover a man who knew how to encourage, even in the difficult season of life. You know, it's easy for us who are independent, fundamental, Baptist preachers to really harp on sin, right? And we, we know the rule book pretty well. And we love to preach on sin and bear down on sin. Why? Well, we know we're sinners, and we know that all sheep are prone to wonder, prone to leave. All we like sheep of what? 
We've gone astray. And everyone has gone his own way. So we, we tell folks, don't do that. There's the border. There's the boundary. There's the commandment. And they're protective. And we need to do that. We're inclined to evil contend. We preach against sin, for we know it's our own biggest attraction in our hearts. And that's okay. Well, like one little boy said after he came home from church and his dad asked him, what was the message about, son? His dad wasn't able to be there that day. He said, it was on sin, dad. What did the preacher say about it? Well, he was against it. (laughs) We ought to be. The Bible is full of injunctions to avoid, to run, to flee from sin. But did you know walls without love is legalism? Borders without compassion is a prison. Guilt without grace is a desert. One Girl Scout said uh, or sold 11,000 boxes of Girl Scout cookies. And somebody asked her, how in the world did you do that? Bright eyes, she looked up and said this, you just got to look folks in the eye and make them feel guilty. (laughs) You ever think that's what preaching is? Just look them in the eye and make them feel guilty. Well, we've read the context that there are 10 spies that came back and uh, and the commandment from from Moses is when you go, be strong and of great courage. We want a report of what the land is all about. And so when they come back, you know the story, you've learned it from Sunday school. They come back and what do they say? Well, you look at verse, after 40 days of searching the land, south to north, side to side, they come back with the report. In fact, as they come back, just two of them, or there may have been more of this, they were carrying one cluster of grapes between two from the valley of Eshcol. And there they come back with the report while they are carrying this big, gigantic, one cluster of grapes between them. And they've got figs and they're munching on that. And they come back for the report in verse 26. They came to Moses and to Aaron just by way of remembering the story. The Bible says these spies came and they brought word, verse 26, about the land, the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, we came into the land whither thou sentest, Moses. And it surely, God wasn't lying, it surely flows with milk and honey. And this, look, is the fruit of it. Imagine seeing that after being two years in the wilderness. Fresh grapes and figs and milk and cheese. And nevertheless, the people be strong. There's a nevertheless that just started bringing a cloud in. And they that dwell in the land, the cities are walled. They're very great, thick walls. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, the Anakim, the giants, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. The land is full of ites. They dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. The Bible continues by saying the men that went up with him disagreed. Remember what they said? We be not able, verse 31, to go up against this people. They're stronger than we are. And they brought an evil, God calls it an evil report, a discouraging report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land though, uh, through which we have gone to search is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are, are, are men of great stature. Some are nine and ten foot tall. And we know that from the story of Goliath. 
the Philistine. We saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. And I have marked verse 1 of chapter 14. Look at it with me. And all the congregation lifted up their voice. All. That means few exceptions, right? And they cried. And all the people wept through the night. The night the grasshoppers sang the blues. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would to God that we would have died in the land of Egypt. Or would God that we had died in this wilderness. And they began to say this, they began to say, this is such a risk to our children. How could we ever go into this land promised to us? Our families will perish by the sword. And they said one to another, verse 4, let us make a captain. Let us make another leader and let us return to Egypt. Imagine the mind of Moses as he thinks about the burning bush, the call that God had placed upon his life to go to Egypt and to deliver the people from the jaws of the greatest nation on the earth at the time and to take them across uh, and out of that land through the Red Sea, all the miracles, the place. Re- remember the story? They went uh, from, the, uh, from the Red Sea and that great crossing, the giving of the law, the organization of the tribes, the building of the tabernacle, the wars with the Amalekites, the two-year journey through the wilderness where God provided everything. He set a table before them in the wilderness. And they've come now to the threshold of the land of promise. This was a spark in in Moses' heart that he was living for. That I could deliver your people to your land of promise. Well, here he's surrounded by two to three million people who are crying and saying, Moses... You have failed us. This is the greatest disappointment of his life, really. And so they come back and bring the report. As you know, the 12 spies, they have this, all this fruit in their hands and even perhaps between their teeth. There's an excitement. Land of promise is so close. We're finally there. And you see there's a promise rejected. I want you to see this. This was a really the southern most vista of the land of promise and right down in the valleys where they'd picked up the grapes. It's a beautiful, and it's so close. Moses can taste it. I want you to see the setting of this great prayer. We've already read most of these verses, but the setting is there's a promised land, but the people have come and especially the spies have cast really a shadow of the promise. The promised land they found out as they got into it, the spies did, was fully occupied. And they were so So sad about that. Not vacant. It is a possessed land. What a shock, right? We thought it would be vacant. City's open. But there's enemies everywhere, Moses. And then they also said the land is powerfully protected. It's got tall walls all over it. And they said, we did not expect that there would be this kind of enemy force and presence. And the cities are are walled and and inside the cities and around the cities, there's these giants. We did not know it was a possessed land. And then we are underpowered. We cannot. Look at us in in their sight, in our sight. We just can't. Moses, 
this must be a mistake. We, we can't do this. So there's a promise rejected, and there's a people dejected. Chapter 14, they raised their voice all night, and they wept and cried and murmured against Moses. All the people wept that night. Discouragement, did you know, is more contagious. Discouragement is more contagious, I think, than the COVID. <laughs> it is. It's infectious. Uh, they were ready, most of them, to go in, and then they saw the enemy, and they came back. And do you know that just 10 spies uh, carried an infection back to the land, back to the tribes, and began to spread it by their attitude, and it wasn't long before two million people caught this wonderful, <laughs> this evil, excuse me, report, and they all got the disease called discouragement. And they're weeping because of 10 folks, 10 folks that came in with this report. So there were people that were dejected. We see that there was a promise rejected, right? Uh, There's the promised land. They came back, so we can't do it. And there was a crying. The people were dejected about uh, the report. And then we see that there's a purpose refuted. Chapter 14, verse 4, they said one to another, let us make a captain. Let us return. You think about this. Let's back up and go back to slavery. It was better for us there. It was safer for us there. I don't know why we've been following Moses around for two years uh, and, and the God of gods and king of kings. We want to go back to Pharaoh. Imagine this. Imagine hearing this. You talk about disappointment. You know it's even doubly dangerous when your leaders get discouraged. These were leaders of the tribes. Pick you out a man from each tribe, 12 spies, and go. You know that when your leadership gets discouraged, pray for your leadership. When your leadership gets discouraged, the disease spreads faster. You think about people in the Bible that were discouraged leaders. Remember Elijah? He cried and said in 1 Kings 19, 14, he said, oh, my spirit. He said he crawled up under the, the tree, right? The little juniper tree. He said, listen, Lord, I'd rather die than go on in ministry for you. David, Psalm 7. We learned about this in Sunday school a little bit, David. He said, my spirit is so overwhelmed within me. Hey, this thing can affect all of us. Jeremiah 15, 10. He said this, everybody hates me. This is my paraphrase of Jeremiah 15. Everybody hates me. And I'm so tired, Lord, of, of preaching and telling people who are deaf to do right. They can't hear. They don't care. He was so discouraged. Job said, my soul is weary of life. Job 10, 1. In fact, Job would say, I wished I'd never been born. Have you ever felt that way? I wished I'd never even been born. My life is a disappointment. We've come to the edge of the promised land and look at them, listen to them, God. There's a purpose refuted. <clears throat> the disciples, after the death of Christ on the road to Emmaus, even after the resurrection, were saddled up next to the Lord himself. They didn't know him. And the Lord asked him, why is it that you walk and are so sad? It affects Christians. There's mild discouragement that may be just a, a passing feeling of sorrow. That may be not significant. That's, it blows over. There's strong discouragement that lasts longer. And usually it's tied to persisting, long-standing problems. 
For eight to ten years, David was running from Saul in the caves. This may cause loss of appetite, even some hopelessness that what you're living for and expecting has not happened. Sometimes people even come up to you and say this, Hey, is, you, you look down. Is everything okay? Because you're just, something is eating you inside. And it shows up on your face. That goes from mild to even stronger. There's crippling, disabling discouragement. This leads to giving up job, family, spouse, future. Even our faith can lead this to, to sinful responses to life. The ten spies led the people from the threshold of promise to the pit of despair in 40 days. 40 days they came back and destroyed God's purpose and plan for that three million people at that point. Imagine how dangerous it is to be discouraged. So there's a promise that was rejected, a people that were dejected, and a purpose refuted. I wrote this statement down as I was preparing this message. Uh, if there is anything I consider better than the plan of God for my life, I'm in danger of losing my way. And this is what they say to us, right? This is what the people said to Moses. Let us make a captain and return to Egypt. Why? Verse 3 says, wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Ever felt, Lord, this life, the dangers, the enemies, the opposite is so overwhelming. It would be better for us. So go live among the enemies of thine in Egypt. That's where they'd come to. Now, if we ever say that, we're in danger of losing our way. And they did, didn't they? For 40 more years or so, 38 more years, they lost. So they cry out. We didn't sign up for this. Give us a new leader. Take us back. We quit. We're done with you, Moses. In fact, they pick up stones, don't they, in verse 10 of chapter 14. Our family's at risk. If you ever think that doing your own thing is better than serving God, you're in danger of losing your way. So they attack the leadership. In fact, the people are so angry they're ready to execute the four, Aaron and Moses, Joshua and Caleb. And here they are. I, I, You've got to put yourself in the Bible story. You've got to put yourself in the Bible narrative and see these four men surrounded by an overwhelming majority of weeping, discouraged, uh, angry people. And here's what I want you to see. I've been hastening to get here in the text, all right? Let's see how they respond to this. The setting of Moses' prayer, compassionate prayer, and then the silence that preceded Moses' great prayer for mercy. Chapter 14, if you'll look in your Bible to verse 5, they said one to another, let us make a captain return to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron just fell down before the congregation and in the sight of God, they were silent. Now, I will say that Joshua and Caleb are still quite incensed and angered, rightly so, by the response of the people. And they begin preaching hotly at the crowd. But where are Moses and Aaron? They are face down 
in front of the tabernacle. And do you know how hard it is, ladies, to argue with your husband when he's face down in prayer? (laughs) Do you know how hard it is to argue with your wife when she's praying for you? And here the people are, they're kind of surrounded, they're picking up stones, they're ready to turn around, go back to Egypt, and here their two leaders, Aaron and Moses, are face down quietly, crying out to God. The setting is fueled with emotion, it's dynamic, it's full of anger and frustration, it's laced with the wails and weeping of the people. Thoughts of desertion and rebellion. What are they doing? What a lesson to us. I wonder how many family squabbles would just be silenced by leaders in the home, moms and dads that just say, okay, kids, would you quiet down? My dad used to say, now I just want you to hush up. Let's ask God what we should do. Ever thought about that? Let's just ask God what we should do. Oh, how we need leaders like this. Quit trying to figure it out. Quit trying to defend yourself. Just ask God what He wants. How He's going to protect you. What the next step should be. I wonder if our homes would be better served if dad and mom would just do this, the practice of knowing, of being still before God. Be still and know that I am God. You see this moment of silence. And I know that it stilled the people to see their leaders on their face before God. And there's a wonderful encouragement to all of us to be still and know, face down before the Lord, praying in silence. What was he doing? He was asking for God to rule in his heart. He was. And then I want you to see uh, one more thing this morning. It's so very important. Instead of defending himself, Moses is there with Aaron beside him. He's on his knees or he's on his face before the Lord, and he's praying What should we do? Uh, By the way, this is our preemptive strike, isn't it? We need to pray that that God would just do a mighty work among us. Well, the setting, the silence, and then the surprises in Moses' great prayer. The first surprise I see is this. It is that God shows up at all. I mean, you think about this. If, if, If God's people... Three million strong or so have all decided they want to go back to Egypt. Why would God even show up? Verse 10. Why would God even show up at all? Have you ever wondered why God and His great mercy follows you to the depths of sin and the depths of your rejection and rebellion? Why does God even follow you there? Why does God show up at the moment There's an execution. Why does God care about his people? Why does God... The long arm of grace cannot help but follow the people of God wherever they go, begging us, pleading with us to come back. And God does. The congregation bade stone them, verse 10 of chapter 14, with stones and the glory of the Lord appeared. He shows up. Always right on time, isn't he? 
in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. That's amazing to me that God loves us enough to meet us even in our rebellion. Has God ever met you as you're riding out of town saying, Lord, I never want to serve you again. I never want to be around God's people again. I'm too hurt. I just, I'm done. Ah, amongst the smell, the pigs, where the prodigal went, there was the wonderful grace of God, the aroma of heaven that drew him back. And there's a second surprise here that I want you to see this. Surprise number two, God asks questions. God is good about this, and yet it surprises me. The God who knows everything begins to ask Moses in verse 11, The Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? As if God didn't know. What's the answer to that? Until I come back for them and glorify them. They're still provoking God. How long will this people provoke me? And and he doesn't stop there. God is still asking questions of Moses. It's a surprise to me. God, who knows it all, is quizzing Moses. And how long will it be ere they believe me? For For all the signs which I have showed among them, and we've already talked about that, the dismissal after ten plagues in Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, the provision in the wilderness, the thunder from Mount Sinai, and all this, the tabernacle, all the signs. It's a surprise to me that God would have this discourse with Moses. How long? And Moses, I'm sure, is thinking, Lord, if you don't know, how am I supposed to know? God is testing him. How long will they provoke, disbelieve, disregard my power? God doesn't ask us questions because he needs more information, does he? God knows the answer. God is just testing Moses. The test gets easier in in verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And so forth. And then verse 12, I will smite them with pestilence and disinherit them. This is not the first time that God has promised to do this. Remember Mount Sinai? And I will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. What do you think about that? Now, if you were Moses in his sandals, what would you, you're saying, Lord, is this multiple choice? Because if it is, yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> uh, Lord, that's a great plan. They're standing around me with their you know, rocks in hand, and they're ready to kill me and Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. If this is your plan, I'm voting for it. It's a surprise to me that there is this exchange between God and Moses where he's asking, saying, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to wipe them out. But here's the, here's the greatest, perhaps, uh, principle to take home. Surprise, Moses, in the midst of this, is this prayer of compassion. And Moses asks God for more mercy on the people. So let's look at the text uh, before we pack up and go, all right? Verse 13, Moses said to the Lord, this is rich. This is, I, I love this. Then, and, and Moses again is the meekest man, the Bible says in chapter 12. In all the earth, and Moses gets up from the, where he's been praying and 
stands as the glory of God appears behind him, and he has this exchange with the Lord. And he's talking the Lord out of destroying, disinheriting the people. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it if you do this. For you brought this people up in thy might from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, for they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, that thy clouds, the clouds, the Shekinah glory cloud stands over them, and you go before them by day in a pillar of cloud, and by night a pillar of fire. Now if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard of the fame of thee, your reputation will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he promised or swear to them, therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. Now I, I beg you, I appeal to you, I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great according as thou hast spoken, saying, and here it is, here it is. The Lord, as to his character, is long-suffering, of great mercy. Lord, I know you. I know your heart, and great mercy, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and by no means, you don't let people off the hook, but by no means clearing the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation. But I'm asking you, here's the surprise, I'm asking you, even though they want to kill me, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb, and Lord, I want you to pardon, I beg you. The iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of thy mercy, as thou hast forgiven this people all the way from Egypt till now. You want another surprise? That God, he really doesn't change his mind. God never changes, but that he answers Moses in this way. The Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. Not a wonderful story. And then, but as truly as I live, all the earth one day will be filled with the glory of God. Moses has just had this prayer of compassion before the Lord. He says, I want everybody, Lord, to know how great you are, how great your hesed, your mercy is, your covenanted love. No matter how deep our stain is, no matter how incriminated the folks are, look at them. They want to go back to sins forsaken, a land that was nothing but full of idols, and they want now to go there. But Lord, in your great mercy, pardon and have mercy. Because in this display of mercy to a sinful people, in this glorious display of mercy to a sinful people, your glory will be seen in how you forgive and have mercy upon them. And you will be known as even a greater God. Than before, the nations will talk about this amazing transaction of love. And the Lord says, there's a day coming, Moses, when the whole earth will be full of the redeemed who reflect the glory of God that brought them out of sin's clutches and the only song that anybody will ever sing in the glorified eternal state is, I have a great king, a great savior. I've been a great sinner we have such a great Savior. Surprise that God shows up. Surprise that God asks questions. Surprise that Moses asks for mercy. But the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder 
that God would give anybody a second chance. Isn't it wonderful to know that grace is greater than all of our sin? That God would love his runaway people. It's a glorious thing to know that God forgives us in compassion. And in that sense, one day, the whole earth will be occupied only by those who are the forgiven ones and the grateful ones. And what a place it will be where we glorify the King who loved us and kept loving us and kept loving us, kept forgiving us, kept pursuing us. His glory is revealed in the dark canvas of our lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.